So with that being said, look first at Revelation. Go ahead and turn to Revelation 7. I handed you back out, and you perhaps don't even need it, but I handed you back out a little handout um, which is not as colorful as the last one I did several months ago, but it's just a listing of the seven biblical festivals. You know, we started out way back when looking at Leviticus 23, uh, that one chapter that presents the seven biblical festivals to the, to the Israelites. Um, so we looked at that in Leviticus 23 as an introduction to the festivals before we began looking at how these festivals create the backdrop to so much of the New Testament. Uh, this is just a reminder, and your, your old sheet would work just as well. But you notice there's seven festivals. If you look at the sheet or your old sheet, there's seven festivals, four which are spring festivals, three which are fall festivals. The four spring festivals are Passover, uh, the Hebrew word's Pesach, Passover, then unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost, or the Hebrew Shavuot. Pentecost comes from our Greek word. Uh, those are the four spring festivals in Judaism. Uh, what we talked about way back when we introduced ourselves this material is from a Christian perspective, as we look at these festivals, we notice, uh, and most of us get, that the Passover, the Passover, you know, the, the sacrificing of the lamb, the eating of the lamb, um, the passing over the death angel and the leaving of Egypt by the children of Israel, uh, that is very much the background of the sacrifice, uh, the, the bodily sacrifice of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Passover, and that's around the time of Easter, Passover, um, sacrifice of the Lamb of God, unleavened bread, we talked about how unleavened bread, and you can go back and review, but how unleavened bread uh, kind of reminds us, points toward the burial of Jesus, because Passover celebration is one day, and then um, in, in just a couple of days, you have the festival of unleavened bread, uh, and in some ways, it beautifully represents the burial of Jesus. Um, uh, then the, then the, it comes right after Passover. Then the first fruits comes in a couple of days. Uh, that beautifully depicts resurrection. Paul even uses the language that Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection. He's the first one to be resurrected. But he's the beginning of the harvest, will be the rest of the harvest. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you got 50 days after Easter and you hit the Jewish festival of Shavuot, or what's called in um, uh, Greek Pentecost. For, for us, that's when the Spirit came on those gathered Jews. The Jews were gathered there celebrating the giving of the law. Uh, that was what uh, Shavuot or Pentecost was. But those are the four spring festivals. We started out looking at those um, in a little detail way back when, when we were studying the book of Leviticus. And then we moved on. These are all presented in that one chapter 23 of Leviticus. Uh, they're presented elsewhere, but they're presented in the one chapter of Leviticus. Uh, then the fall festivals, you've got basically three fall festivals to, to create your number seven festivals. Uh, trumpets, uh, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, that's that's the, the head of the Jewish year, the Jewish New Year, the, the, the blowing of the trumpets. And of course, you know, when we as Christians hear about the blowing of the trumpets, we think about the return of Christ, how with uh, the sound of the trumpet and the archangel, he, he will return. Anyway, trumpets sort of points toward uh, the gathering 
uh, the trumpet sounds, the people of God are gathered. Uh, Yom Kippur, uh, that's the Day of Atonement in the Jewish calendar. For us, it's, it's Judgment Day. It is for them, too. Uh, it's, it's where every year they, they bring their sins to um, God, and, they, uh, and they, they try to make atonement for their sin. But that's Yom Kippur Judgment in the Jewish calendar. So that fits perfectly with, again, our schedule of the, of the life of Messiah, Yom Kippur Judgment. And Tabernacles is where we've been dwelling for quite a while, Sukkot, Tabernacles. Sukkot is the plural of sukkah. Sukkah just means a tent or a dwelling or a um, temporary shelter. Uh, Tabernacles is that festival that climaxes, and that's part of what you need to hear. That's the festival that climaxes the Jewish year. Uh, you're usually well into October by our calendar, by the time they celebrate Sukkot. Uh, and during the festival of Sukkot, they're remembering, they're remembering their wilderness wanderings, how God was with them in those wilderness wanderings, how God provided for them, gave them everything they needed in their wilderness wanderings. You remember the quail, you remember um, uh, the, the, the manna, you remember the... Um, of the water that was provided. We talked last week about that water ritual that climaxed the celebration of Sukkot in the temple. Uh, we, we saw Jesus interrupting that uh, last great day of the festival when the water ritual was going on. And as they were celebrating the water and bringing the water and praying for more water and being grateful that God provided the water that created their harvest, Jesus stood up and said, let all who is thirsty come to me and drink. Uh, but all of those are the images, the themes of Sukkot, uh, the God's protective covering. God led them by a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. How the Shekinah glory, the glory of God. Um, glory in uh, Greek is doxa. You get your word doxology. It's a song of glory. It's a song of praise, doxa. Um, the Hebrew word for um, glory, because I think it's interesting, is kavod. Um, that's the Hebrew word for glory, kavod. Uh, we call it the Shekinah glory, but just kavod of God is the glory of God. If, um, if you take the word kavod and make it into, and you anglicize it just a little bit, ikavod, or Ichabod, uh, you get an English name, which in Hebrew, Ichabod, if Kavod, Kabod, means glory, Ichabod means the glory is gone. So that's why, you know I'm talking about Ichabod Crane? Okay, that's why he's called Ichabod Crane. It's Hebrew, for the glory has departed. Yeah, I don't know what kind of mother or father you have who names you. The glory has departed. But that's where um, Washington Irving got the name Ichabod, but Kabod or Kavod is Hebrew for, for glory. Anyway, all that's got to do with tabernacles. So we're not surprised that in the New Testament, the Christian faith, eternity looks like an ongoing, just as Zechariah tells us, eternity looks like an ongoing celebration of Sukkot. You know, God is with us. God is tabernacling with us. Uh, God's Shekinah glory the kavod of God, the God Shekinah glory is with us. All of that's a picture of eternity. So that, that kind of creates the background of all Judaism, creates the background of the New Testament. But um, just to show you where this occurs, 
uh, in the book of Revelation as we're talking about eternity. Look at chapter 7. This is a picture, I believe, a picture of the eternal kingdom as it presently exists, but how it will come to earth one day in chapter 21. But here's a picture of the eternal kingdom, um, and we're not surprised that the eternal kingdom, if you know what you're looking for, the eternal kingdom looks like an ongoing celebration of Sukkot, the climax of the Jewish holiday year. Um, the rabbis would just call um, Sukkot the festival. It is so much more joyful. It's a seven-day festival in, in Judaism, so much more joyful than the other festivals. Um, so, yeah, eternity starts looking like this. Uh, but the prophets pointed us to this place in the Hebrew Bible. So look at chapter 7, verse 9. It's one of John's visions. He's seeing the eternal kingdom. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So we know where we're looking at here. Uh, this this massive multitude standing before the throne and before the Lamb. In the book of Revelation, by the way, uh, God and the Lamb share the throne. So you see that, um, yeah, you see the divinity of Jesus being presented that way. God and the Lamb share the throne. So continuing in chapter 7, verse 9, uh, here's this image. John looks, great, great multitude there before the throne and the Lamb. They're clothed in white robes. Of course, white always means celebratory, celebration. Uh, so they're celebrating. Again, you're not surprised that in the eternal kingdom they're celebrating. Uh, they're there celebrating before the throne and before the Lamb. They are clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Um, palm branches mean a lot of different things. Um, we know palm branches are connected with Palm Sunday. Well, then you should ask the question, why are they connected with Palm Sunday? Uh, well, they were waving them when Jesus made his entrance into Jerusalem. Well, inquiring minds should say, why were they waving them when, they, when Jesus made his entrance into, um, into the holy city of Jerusalem? Um, and, if, and if you keep pushing it, you say, well, they were waving them because in the book of Maccabees, after the Greeks were defeated by the Maccabeans or the Hasmoneans and the temple was restored, and uh, they were filled with great joy. They waved palm branches. Well, then again, why did the Maccabeans and the Hasmoneans wave palm branches when they had their party? That the Greeks had been ran out of town and that the temple was restored. So if you keep pushing back, you know, why palm branches? Why are you, why are you waving palm branches? Um, very much. Uh, guess what you do at Sukkot? There's three uh, articles of fruit that you use in the celebration of Sukkot. One of, one of them is you, you, you wave palm branches. So, you know, anytime they're waving palm branches, they're having a Sukkot celebration. Again, what all does Sukkot mean? We have finished. We have arrived. God has taken care of us. God is with us. The Shekinah glory is with us. Yeah, redemption is a good 
catch-all term for that. So that's why the palm branches has gotten into um, uh, the Jewish and Christian tradition. It wasn't that was the only thing they could find. You know, they didn't have other kinds of shrubbery to pick from. But um, this is part of what was commanded in the book of Leviticus to be waved on at the festival of Sukkot. Anyway, so yeah, you got palm branches um, at the beginning of, uh, of the, the Hanukkah um, the, the occasion that gave rise to Hanukkah. You got palm branches when the, when the Messiah is coming into town. Uh, we're waving palm branches in heaven. It's a symbol, a sign of our joy, a symbol of sign that God has led us through, God has provided, and um, the festival is happening. Again, Sukkot is sometimes seen as such a joyful completion climax of the Jewish holiday season that it's just called the festival. So uh, they're clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice. Um, I wish we'd just translate that singing, because I think they're singing. If you don't like to sing, you may not want to go to this place. I would suggest you warm up to the concept of singing. I would suggest you warm up to the concept of worship, or you may be warming up eternally. Um... They're singing here in the eternal kingdom and crying out with a loud voice or singing, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Again, there's always that connection, the one seated on the throne and the Lamb. Um, yeah, Jesus is, shares divinity. Verse 11, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, uh, if we had a full study of the book of Revelation, and I think I've got a year's worth of podcast on our website for the book of Revelation, if we were doing the whole thing, uh, the, four, the, 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 the elders represent the church or the people of God, the 12 tribes and the 12 uh, apostles, the whole people of God represented by the elders. The um, four living creatures sort of represents all creation. So everybody, everything that's in the kingdom is, is worshiping here. So verse 11 again, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne. There's a lot of different, a lot of different postures for prayer. Uh, historically, especially in our age, for the last couple thousand years, Jews historically, when they pray or worship, but pray, uh, do, you, do you know what their posture is? They stand. They stand. Um, this is not completely 100% true, but it's a great deal true. You know why for the last 2,000 years, Jews have stood as their typical prayer posture? Because Christians knelt. Yeah, early on in our history, we, we, we knelt more than we stood for prayer. So we were the kneelers. You know, when we started separating from Judaism, we were the kneelers. They were the standers. Uh, obviously, both are wonderful, wonderful prayer postures. And, uh, you know, if you, if you have a Jew that you can joke with and they, you know, they tell you why you have to stand, only stand for prayer, remind them that Daniel knelt when Daniel prayed three times a day. And they'll say, well, he's in Persia. Different situations. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, there's lots of prayer postures in the Bible. I think we should use all of them. 
standing, kneeling, and this one that's being presented to you. Falling prostrate before God. Falling prostrate before God is, is, a, is a very appropriate prayer posture. We sing about that. I hope we do it more than I suspect we do. Some of you have heard me say, uh, I, I, I know people who do pray prostrated before God. Um, uh, most people that pray in this age prostrated before God do it privately. But it may be a, um, uh, a, a boost to your prayer life to always get your body involved in, in, in praying and worship. Not just your mind involved in praying and worship or your heart, but get your body involved in praying and worship. That's always been a Jewish Christian thing. Get your body in pray, involved. But I've got friends who, who do prostrate. That's part of their prayer life. They prostrate themselves before God. They, t they, they tend to do it uh, privately. But yeah, your body... Try to bring everything that you are into your worship life, not just your brain or your heart. Um, that's why in historic Christianity, you know, we stand, sit, kneel. You know, I haven't done a lot of prostrating publicly, but that has occurred in public worship among Christians. But um, you know, vary your prayer life. Find what's best for you. Uh, find the postures that help you pray. Find the postures that help you worship. Uh, I probably said this, but since we're dealing with Judaism, if you notice, uh, a lot of times when Orthodox or traditionalist Jews pray, they um, they daven, D-A-V-E-N, they daven, uh, which means they 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 kind of rock when they pray. You can see them at the Western Wall rocking when they pray. Uh, davening though doesn't mean rocking. Davening just means praying. But for them, praying and rocking just kind of comes together um, because again if you ask them why are you doing that why can't you stand still they would say to you they want their whole being to be involved in the worship they want their whole being to involved in prayer so yeah um, body mind spirit soul we're, we're united all of that needs to be offered to God all of that needs to be somewhat involved in worship my Catholic and high church Episcopal friends tell me that even with the, their incense, their nose gets involved in worship. All of our beings should be involved in worship. Anyway, here's a prayer posture. Here's a worship posture for you. You see that um, it's one that we'll be using in heaven. They're falling prostrate uh, before God, before the throne. And they worship God saying, look at verse 12, Amen. I means so be it. Amen doesn't mean the end. It means so be it, which is why here amen comes at the beginning. Amen, so be it. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now, now that you're beginning to think a little Hebraically, a little Jewishly, you need to see what all is said there. Did you count those attributes being offered toward God, count them. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might. How many? Perfect praise is being offered here to God. Perfect praise. It shouldn't shock you that in heaven, perfect praise is what's offered to God. In the book of Revelation and in just biblical mindset in general, seven means... Um, perfection or completion. It goes all the way back to the seven days of, of the week. 
uh, the seven days of creation, the six days of creation, and one day of resting. So seven is uh, really important. It's an important number. So there you see um, perfect praise being offered to God. That's what we'll be doing in heaven. That's what we try to learn how to do here on earth. We try to learn how to praise God and try to offer perfect praise to God. Okay, now watch. Here we get real close to Sukkot. Verse 13. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these? Because again, John's seeing this vision. One of the elders addressed John, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? Uh, I said to him, Sir, you know. Well, I'm sure that elder knows. He's the one in heaven. But I think he wants John to know. That's why he asked John, who, who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now, I know we Christians, particularly in the last hundred years, when you hear the words great tribulation, your mind goes to one thing. The great tribulation at the end of history. Um, as the kingdom's wrapping up. And that certainly is true. That's something that is will happen. The great, the great tribulation, uh, part of the birth pains of the new kingdom, the new age when it comes. But from the Hebraic mindset, they would say that's true, but there's been lots of great tribulations that the people of God um, have had to come out of. Book of Esther's one. You know, they're going to kill all the Jews in the empire in the book of Esther. Uh, so they, they've had to deal with coming out of great tribulations for a long time. So when they talk about coming out of great tribulations, they know that um, you know, it's been a lot of great tribulations, and God's brought them through. So if you think of all the great tribulations, particularly because you're getting ready to see some more language and imagery connected with Sukkot here, um, as, you, as you see these, yeah, slavery in Egypt's a pretty great tribulation. I've never been a slave under Pharaoh, but I think if I were, I'd term it a great tribulation. And they get to come out of slavery in Egypt. They get to come out of the wilderness wandering. God protects them. Even the slavery in Egypt, God protected them. Um, and then God protected them through the wilderness wandering. So whatever the great tribulation is or will be, uh, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are those who, those who have prevailed. These are those who have gone through great tribulation and, and they stayed true to Christ. And God brought them through. You know, I'm, I'm sure a few folks went back to Egypt. They kept complaining to Moses and Aaron about all of them going back to Egypt. But of course, Moses and Aaron were not going to let them turn, turn back and go. I'm sure some probably snuck back to Egypt. Um, but um, these are they who have made it through whatever the Great Tribulation is they had to deal with, whatever came into their age. And they stayed true to God, and they, they made it through now. So that's why they're celebrating Sukkot. They're celebrating uh, with great joy. They're celebrating the full presence of God. They're celebrating the deliverance, the provision, the protection of God. Now look at verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. All of heaven um, is kind of referenced, and you, you see particularly when you get to chapters 21, 22, all, is, all of heaven is referenced as a temple. 
There's no one structure of the temple in heaven because all of heaven is the presence of God. You know, the temple is the place that housed the presence of God or the tabernacle before the temple. But heaven doesn't have to have one specific building um, because uh, the presence of God uh, engulfs everything that is heaven. But here they are worshiping in his presence in the temple. He who sits on the throne will, what's the word? He who sits on the throne, sits on the throne will blank them with his presence. Yeah, shelter, tabernacle, kabod, kavod, shekinah will, will, will shelter them with his presence. And again, uh, because we in the Gentile world don't basically celebrate Sukkot, when you run across the word Sukkot in the Bible, you don't notice it's the word Sukkot or shelter. Sukkah is a shelter. So heaven is, is that eternal, ultimate um, sheltering by God. Um, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Every time the Jewish community goes out in the backyard or their porch or their balcony and, and they build that little temporary shelter, uh, sukkah, to celebrate the seven days of Sukkot, it's fun. And you go eat your meals there. Kids may have you spend the night there. But it, it is a reminder of how God took care of you when you had to live in those things back during the wilderness wandering. And but it's also, it points forward also. It points forward to the day when you'll be in the, in the shelter, in the tabernacle, in the tent, in the dwelling, whatever word you want to use, in the sukkah. Uh, of God. That's, that's the way heaven is presented. So he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. Yeah, all the quail you want, all the manna you want. They, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Again, a tabernacle, a shelter in wilderness wanderings. That's what the Jewish people had to do. Verse 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to the springs of what? Living water. Remember Sukkot, the water ritual, the water libation ritual. For seven days, the high priest brings water from the pool of Siloam um, to, to the altar in the temple. On the seventh day, uh, they bring and they circle, maybe eighth day, they bring and they circle the altar seven times. That whole water ritual to remind us, each other, and the world that God provides water. Because water is really important to desert culture. Uh, the water is provided. And again, it was in that on the last great day of that feast while that's happening when Jesus stands up and says, uh, everyone thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Well, at one point, we'll, we'll get all the refreshment we want from, from Jesus. Uh, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. If the sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of their throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to living water or water that gives life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So, um, yeah, Sukkot is very much in the background of this. It even becomes a little clearer because um, we'll go from here to Revelation 21 and 22, which is the fullest picture of, of this kingdom coming down to earth and is, is painted a little more fully in 21 and 22. But um, all of it, in a sense, is based on everything that Sukkot means to the Jewish world. 
but it's based especially on Zechariah 14, where Zechariah 14, other prophets would have agreed with him. Zechariah said it, that the eternal messianic kingdom will be like an ongoing party, an ongoing Sukkot, an ongoing celebration of the great joy um, that, that Sukkot points to. So that's, we're going to stop there because I don't want to go into Revelation 21 22 until um, we can really go into Revelation 21 22. So that's a good place to stop.